The COVID-19 pandemic made a hash out of the Census Bureau's plan for field operations. Ultimately, it had less time to do the work following up in person with people who didn't mail in their questionnaires or answer online. And now it has less time than planned to do the data processing in order to deliver the final count on time. That means the data quality might be at risk. We get more now from the Managing Director for Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office, Chris Mim. Chris, good to have you back. It's a pleasure to be with you again, Tom. So the census has been off again, on again with the field operations and lawsuits and delays. How much less time did they have than they planned to in the first place? How did this all add up for them? You know, your, your heart at one level really feels for the Census Bureau. I mean, they were when they mailed out the invitations, the first mailing of invitations to participate in the census were delivered on March 12th. And that was the day after the WHO declared COVID-19 to be a pandemic and the day before the U.S. declared it a national emergency. And so, you know, they came out of the field for a couple of months, then went back into the field, certainly delayed and ended up truncating some of the field operations by only about a couple of weeks. The real time saving, such as it were, was on the back end, on the processing of the data. Under normal circumstances, this would have been 150 days. They then had a, a plan that would take them down to 90 days. Now the actual, if they're going to meet uh, the statutory deadline at the end of the year, will be about 77 days. That's going to be a real challenge for them. So the delays in the field work resulted in less time for the field work. The casualty was the processing time at the very end. Exactly. Something like the census is that every delay at, at one stage has a knock-on effect with every subsequent stage. There's some things that they can do as in parallel, including now that the processing of the data. But fundamentally, they have to complete one stage before they can move on to the other, before they can then move on to the next. But within the about half the time they have that they expected to do the data processing, is there any way that within data processing they can move things to do in parallel instead of serially? They've done as much as they can on that. And, you know, the, the, the challenge that they're running into now is that we know historically, and we certainly saw this in the 2010, that when you start bringing together all these data files and start putting them together in kind of one big file, you're going to run into some anomalies that you're going to have to look at and say, hey, this doesn't seem right to us. You know, let's rerun the data and make sure that it's a true reflection of the population and not something with our, our software or how we're running the data. Now, they have 15 of what they call the critical anomalies. That is those that in one way or another affect the apportionment count. And again, that happens kind of in every census. But we don't see a lot of that in every census because they have the time to deal with it. Now they're under really compressed time frames. Once they figure out these anomalies, put in a, a comprehensive patch, test that, then they move to the next stage, and there could be some additional anomalies that we'll run into there. So to make an absurd example, if it showed up in the early processing that suddenly New Hampshire had 20 million people and California had 1 million people, that would pop up and say, we need to check this as an anomaly. Yes, no, exactly, is that, you know, what they have is they have experts in the Census Bureau that know state-level counts and take a look at it and say, hey, you know, this count doesn't seem right to us. The sex ratios seem off. The, you know, the, the demographic distributions don't seem right based on what we know historically and from other data collection. In the 2010 census, they re-ran the numbers on every single state at least once, and in some states a couple of times. That doesn't mean they ended up changing them or that they found big errors, but there were enough, at least enough questions for them to rerun them. The time allotted to the state-level experts has been truncated this time around. So that's one of the risks that they find. They really need to make sure that they're they're able really to go down the rabbit hole, as it were, of every single kind of concern or question that they have. 
So given the delays and the amount of time they did do in field work, if they had the normal time for data processing, then there likely would be no real question, correct? It would certainly be much easier for them to manage. You know, that it typically, as I mentioned a moment ago, the plan pre-COVID in the before times was that it would be about 150 days in order to do the processing. That's consistent with what they've done in the past. They've been able to manage any of these anomalies that, that take place there. This much shortened time is, is going to be difficult for them. I guess the main point we haven't really said explicitly is that data processing is not simply a machine function for them. It's reading the results, comparing them with what humans know to be something reasonable to expect, and then going back and double-checking. So there's a big human calculation component of this. It's not all just computer work. Absolutely. And I'll give you just one example of kind of the types of things that they found is that they worked with universities to do the enumeration of students living in in the dorms. One university told them that they thought that they would have about 7,500, I think was the number of students in total in all of their dorms. When the numbers came back in, there had been a mistake and they had actually put 7,500 in each of the 30 or so dorms that the university has thus increasing a population from about 7,500 to over 90,000. That's something that the Bureau caught. That wasn't a technical, or at least it wasn't a, you know, kind of an, an, an IT-related issue. That was just a mistake on, on data input. Those are the types of things that the state experts look at. Those are the types of things that, that the uh, Census Bureau really wants to make sure that they get exactly right. We're speaking with Chris Mim, Managing Director for Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Well, at this point, the calendar can't be stretched. I mean, December 31st is when it is. Is there anything they can do at this point other than accept something less than what they would otherwise wish to deliver and Congress to consider? The Census Bureau's commitment is to, as as they've always said to us, and certainly as they say publicly, is a full and accurate count for purposes of apportionment and redistricting. There isn't, I think, a reasonable scenario that gets them to releasing population counts for apportionment by December 31st. That would be an extraordinary achievement on on their part, and I don't think they're actually planning on that. From every conversation I've had with them, I I don't think that they are really thinking that that's realistic for them. More likely, I think what they're doing is looking for a little bit of time after that. The public commitment that they've made is to provide the counts sometime in January. We've been asking them for a more detailed project plan, including kind of the critical path that has to take them there. You know, we haven't gotten that yet. That's tied up with the Commerce General Counsel. They're reviewing a lot of requests because of the ongoing litigation associated with the the census counts. But I I think, you know, sometime in January is probably the more reasonable time when we would be getting the counts. Your report notes that at one point, one of the courts in California tried to stop their plan and that delayed them a lot. It seems like if the states would, and the attorneys general and whoever else decides they're a party to all of this, stand down with the legal assaults, perhaps census could get things done quicker from here on out. You know, that's largely been resolved at this point. I mean, there, there are two remaining cases, one dealing with the inclusion of the undocumented into apportionment counts. Our focus on that is not the policy concern, is that does the attempt to identify the undocumented that were enumerated in any way, compromise the ongoing, more normal order of the counts. Um, Every conversation we've had with the Bureau is that has not been the case. Now, we haven't done a lot of detail work, but we ask them about that all the time. There's a second case that won't be heard until sometime in the spring. So the litigation aspect from the standpoint of the operations has largely been resolved at this point. It sounds like then when this is all said and done two, three years from now, they will have learned some really good lessons about when there are roadblocks and and diversions along the way that would be useful to inform future decennial counts. Absolutely, Tom. And, and you know, we have a a whole body of work 
the report that we're discussing today is the first in a series of reports that's going to be looking at and capturing lessons learned for 2020 with an eye towards 2030. But the Census Bureau also usually has a fairly robust evaluation system in place, both to check the coverage of the census, as I mentioned, as well as the operational. And there are some successes there. I mean, I think uh, we mentioned this in the report, that there's a good story that needs to be told both in the census and probably larger within the federal community. And I know your listeners would be interested in this, is that they were quite agile in thinking about, you know, how they get back in the field. They used a structured approach based on science and data about where they could go back in to actually doing the follow-up and when. It wasn't just a national kind of flips a switch. So it was all a very locally-based decision. That has good information for other agencies as they think about reentry. It also is good information for other agencies as they just think about how do we be agile in being able to respond to a disaster. I think there's going to, at the end, there'll always be some things that could have been done better, but that's going to be a good story for the census bureau to tell, and we're going to be part of that. So for the Bureau, it's 2030. Here we come. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> All right. We'll both be sitting here in 2030 talking about the same thing. I'm afraid I might be. I hope you can retire by then. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's revealing anything. It won't be me. <laughs> All right. Chris Mim is Managing Director for Strategic Issues at the Government Accountability Office. As always, thanks so much. And Tom, my great pleasure. Thank you, sir. We'll post this interview plus a link to this latest report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.